Welcome to episode 9. This is Heavy Typing. I'm Frank Hagen. I hope that you're enjoying this podcast. Some of this writing is challenging. Certainly some of the material can be difficult for some people. And if you're one of those persons, I hope that you see value in the writing and are sticking with us. Tonight we continue that novel. This is chapter six, Chastity Unum Diem. There are a lot of things that I would recommend against doing in life that I have, of course, done myself. Desperation, I should say, true desperation. What I mean by that is that you can't be any lower and things can't get any worse. This at least divests a person of shame. But I couldn't extend that courtesy to myself. In that moment, I was certain that my personal rape club was not far behind. Clarity was not yet upon me, if it ever has been. I assumed that letting me loose was some kind of game and that they would be hunting me. I had fled with limited reason in both haste and paranoia, and when I came upon the highway at last, I waded with urgency directly into the moving traffic, staring into people's windows. My face pleaded for mercy. Blurry shapes of drivers and passengers gazed upon me as they zoomed by honking their horns. Some people gawked and yelled with their windows rolled down. I had a vague idea that I was trying to decipher, but I couldn't bring myself to flag anyone down. I staggered in the lanes. Broken white lines illuminated by headlights tangled under my feet. Vehicles narrowly avoiding hitting me zigging around and swerving to avoid worse collisions. Eventually, I crossed all the lanes and collapsed among debris and trash in the alcove of a rock wall which had formed naturally at the shoulder of the road. I'd laid there for a while until a rusty pickup truck slammed on its brakes, pulling up just beyond me. An Hispanic middle-aged man with spiked blonde hair and a thin dark mustache leaned out of the passenger side window. Get in the back, man, he said. Come on, he yelled when I didn't respond. I could see the driver engaging with his rearview mirror impatiently. I pulled myself over into the bed of the truck by stepping up onto a rear tire and lurching myself painfully with what little energy I had left. As soon as I bounced on the metal bed, the pickup accelerated and sped off. I crawled onto my back and watched the sky brighten. Somewhere in the early gloom was the rising sun. Clouds with shifting shadows rolled over me as did the tops of trees and utility poles. My head bounced with every bump of the road. Cables sagged with varied curves, rising and falling from pole to pole. Everything my eyes could take in was like a time-elapsed film. I will live a chaste life, I said to the expanse scrolling above. I felt the truck slow slightly, and I slid to the side as it turned off the highway. We passed under another road, leaving us temporarily in darkness. The canopy of trees filled out above me. Bigger potholes bounced the truck with more frequency. Blue sky opened between the clouds, and after a number of turns, 
the driver slowed down completely and brought the truck to a halt. I heard the doors fly open and slam closed. I sat up. I was dizzy and I felt as if I were still moving, but we were parked behind an old abandoned gas station under a group of leafy trees. I saw that down the street there was a functioning convenience store. Two men lowered the tailgate of the truck bed. The spiky-haired man was accompanied by an older gentleman, the driver, who wore a plaid fedora and a faded jean jacket. He was silent and calm, but the expression on his pocked face exuded at least a little disgust. The spiky-haired man threw me a pair of painter's overalls and a sweatshirt with holes in it. Both smelled of gasoline. Put these on and get the fuck out of here, he said, rushing me. He was looking around, scanning our surroundings impatiently. I slid into the overalls while lying down as best as I could. I pulled the sweatshirt over my head as I jumped down off the back of the truck. Together, the two men held onto my arms as I came down. I nodded to both of them and turned my hands open silently for the loss of anything to say and then started walking toward the convenience store. No policia, the older man said definitively. I heard the door slam and the engine come to life. They ripped past me, tires squealing as they sped onto the road. As I approached the store entrance, a woman driving a compact car pulled into the parking lot and got out. She was dressed for work and appeared to be in a hurry. Excuse me, I said, limping stiffly in her direction. My voice came out like a whisper. She gave me a venomous look. This is something I am accustomed to seeing on women's faces, but for different reasons. She wasn't bad looking. I turned my gaze away from her and walked down the road. I had decided to walk until I either got an idea or arrived somewhere, which is what I wound up doing all morning, walking on the grass just off the shoulder. Among other things, I was in need of a haircut, the unruly mess flopping about in front of my eyes. I must have been a sight. Several times, passing vehicles turned around and drove by me slowly. In either case, I couldn't see inside due to window tinting. I prepared myself for various possibilities, but ignored them. In the afternoon, as I was passing through a small downtown, another car swerved in front of me and slammed on its brakes. My pal, Vindy Trong, could be heard berating me angrily before he even exited from a rear door. You fat fucking asshole, Vindy Trong said. The fuck are you doing? He sounded genuinely distressed. I didn't know what to say, to be honest. People who know better will tell you that there are always words, but I was truly at a loss for them at that moment. I looked at the man and listened, but I said nothing. You can't fucking be here, Vindy yelled, tearing into me. You're a fucking traitor, pathetic. He charged at me, pushing me down on the sidewalk. I fell down easily. Three of his men were out of the car watching. Fat piece of fucking shit, Vindy said. You fucking fat piece of fucking filthy shit. He kicked at the air and he stared down at me where I lay on the concrete. But eventually he sighed and helped me off the ground. I really need to know, how does a piece of shit like you get so much pussy, Cox? Vindy said. Beauty is a mystery, I offered meekly. 
The beautiful loser would know. Fuck it. Okay, Vindy said, spitting. He seemed to be trying to think. Shut the fuck up. You aren't supposed to be fucking here, shithole. You shouldn't be here. I don't exactly want to be here right now, I said. After fucking me, too. Get in the asshole car. Room my seats, I'd definitely kill you. He had his car take us to one of the garages that he controlled. It was in an industrial neighborhood. A large metal door rolled up and we drove down a ramp and parked inside. A young kid ran over and pulled the garage door closed behind us. Inside the garage office, Vindy handed me a can of Coke. A case was sitting on an old metal shelf. The lid was covered in dust. You want a Coke, he said. I wiped the lid clean with the dirty sleeves of my lone sweatshirt. My fingertips pained me as I bent back the tab and heard the familiar carbonated buzz. I could go for some water, I told him as I took a sip of the cola. It was somehow cold and the carbonation stung pleasantly on my tongue and in my mouth. What the fuck happened, Vindy asked, opening a Coke for himself. The dump site was compromised. Everyone tell me you in on it, take my money. Let the product fall into the wrong hands. But why? I admit I gotta be curious. No word has surfaced in neither of the goods. Just don't make any sense. You look like shit anyway. Finally, true colors. You're questioning my integrity, I said with a swollen smile. No integrity to question, Lord Tubby. Look at yourself, you fuck. Okay, I had no response. I agreed with the man, mostly except that it really wasn't my fault. I'm a man who owns his failures. Okay, what, Cox? You want me to kill you? Fuck it. No one would come looking for me, I said with a shrug. I finished my Coke and threw the can in a plastic barrel. Maybe you can bury me in a crate like the one they shipped you over in. So you did fuck me, Vindy said, jumping toward me. I didn't fuck you, Trong. I've had a couple bad days and I'm tired enough for anything but I didn't fuck you. Then where is the product? Why you didn't take the money I give you and stay low like we agree? Christ, Vindy, everything was burned. I was waylaid by some sleazy cyclists, probably working on orders. They brought me down. They fucked you. Psychedelic road dogs. It was a setup, and I swear I fucking knew it was going to be a setup. The car and the contents of the truck all went up in flames. The money, the girl... All were burning away while I was beaten. Who the fuck is this girl? You saying I set you up, huh? A lot of make-believe from everyone. I am trying to remain dispassionate, Trong. But don't. Don't make me say anything. You know, she was special. Special with you has a special meaning, I guess, since you fucked them all the same, Vindy said. He waved his hand like a knife through the air. I don't know anything about a girl. He threw his empty can into the plastic barrel from across the room. Sorry, he told me. Looks like you have feelings to hurt, after all. But this might actually have worked out better than we planned. If the product really burned like you said. Absolutely, I said cynically. Things have worked out better than I could have imagined. Fuck your drama, Cox. Get fat is one thing. Sentimental another. Let's not starve today. I'll buy you lunch while I have someone check your story. Thanks, asshole, I said. 
but I proceeded to describe for Trong where I thought the car went off the road while we waited for one of his men to bring back takeout. Meanwhile, he directed his crew to check the veracity of my story. I ate only a little, but he brought me two big bottles of water and I drank them both while we waited. Eventually, I fell asleep in my chair. When I woke up, I was overcome with hunger and finished the rest of my lunch. We sat in the garage waiting, and I dozed in and out of sleep. I saw that Vindy had gotten an ice cream cone from somewhere. Chocolate vanilla twist. My body ached in its entirety. Sometime later that evening, Vindy got a call. He listened and nodded with a satisfied look on his face. Not bad. Evidence supports your theory, Cox, he said. More like fact, I affirm. Relax some, shitface. Go home, get some sleep or something. Too many problems for that, Vindy. I've met some indecent people who have complicated my life. And then there is whoever set us up. Yeah, Vindy said. I told you it was a fucked situation. That there were parties paying attention. Look, I feel bad, kind of. Let me pay you, since the check bounced, so to speak. He spoke to some men who came back with a shoebox, which Vindy gave to me. It had a decent weight to it. Fuck off, okay? Vindy said, dismissing me with the wave of a hand. Back at my apartment, I made myself a drink, three thumbs of Glenny, and sat in the chair by the window, unable to sleep. I had looked inside of the shoebox, but didn't bother to count the money. Why bother now? It was less than what was in the grocery bag, but fair enough. I hadn't decided exactly what to do yet. Deciding seemed impossible. I made another drink and groomed myself in the mirror. Tired eyes were framed by dark lids and yellowed, swollen flesh. They were insidiously cold. I drank my scotch, feeling like a sunken relic. Bruises covered my body in a strange marbled pattern as if I had poured stain over my head. Dark blotches of purple, red, blue, and black. Orange, too. The end of the fucking rainbow, I told myself. I couldn't believe the thoughts in my head. I held my bloated stomach. It felt like a rock. In the shower, I had scrubbed myself with determination using excessive soap and rubbing my flesh raw reopening wounds and watching the water turn pink as it went down the drain. I stood under the water until it turned cold and even then I remained there until I shivered involuntarily. With the water landing on my head and passing over me, I imagined what the book looked like. Leather bound and heavy with uneven paper edges. An elaborate design tooled into the cover. Bronze clasps. I imagined bronze clasps pinning me, squeezing me. My chest tightened and I felt my breath become shallow. Wounds now were a kind of cipher tooled into my own flesh, but I was no vessel of wisdom, arcane or otherwise. No, I supposed pain was merely another kind of anesthetic for me. I was responsible for what happened to the girl. I felt responsible, regardless. Fat and sentimental, truly. I kept seeing her smashed up face consumed by flames and I kept thinking of how soft she had felt in my hand. I poured drink after drink and left the empty bottles on the dresser.
I stood wrapped in the curtains, watching the street through the window blinds, but paying attention to nothing. I nursed my drinks until the last one was gone, and I was left running my tongue over my teeth. I found a pair of clean pants, slipped into a pair of old sneakers, grabbed a couple bills from the shoebox, and threw on a jacket. It was the middle of the night, closer to morning, and the streets were mostly deserted. As I walked, I watched a cop car on patrol turn into a narrow alley and turn on its spotlight. In my head, I heard some musical motif of a female singing, some butchered fragment of an aria that must have surfaced again from my childhood. I heard this vocal then accompanied by that great pipe organ, and this music played in sync with my footsteps as I traversed the derelict, unmaintained sidewalk. Far away, Disembodied fingers held down the keys, holding the notes too long. A red lipsticked mouth made sounding shapes in a black void. Everything in my head went silent, however, when I opened the door to my neighborhood convenience store, which was filled with bright light and electronic beats. The young girl singing in this universe was concerned about making lots of money and attending parties with boys. Very relaxing vacation, the clerk asked. Huh? I responded. You look like shit, the clerk told me. Yeah. No, I'm... The missus loved it. She's already booking the next trip. I'll bet, he said. He had a magazine open and was playing with controls, changing the music. Don't, I said. Don't what, he asked. My shift is nothing but crazy people, he remarked. Your name tag says don't. I pointed to his name tag. Don T. Are you on bath salts? That's my name. Don Thomas, you know, last name starts with a T. What the fuck? He looked at me with disgust and amusement. Makes sense, I said. What? I want a thing of cigarettes. Like whatever people call that. Really, dude. You mean like a pack? Or you want a whole carton? Don T grabbed a pack of cigarettes and threw it on the counter. Here you go. One carton, sir. I normally don't even bother to comment on the people who come in here because they are the usual scum. But you have fallen big time. Then again, if you're going to start smoking as an old man, do you even realize what I'm saying now? Fuck it with the Don T righteousness, Don T. Just ring it up. You got money? Spend all your money on fentanyl? Crack? I grabbed the $20 bill from my pocket and tossed it onto the counter. Don T shook his head and scanned the pack of cigarettes. Twelve eighty-three, he said, and when he reached for the $20 bill, I grabbed his arm and held him. Want to see how far I've fallen? I asked. I was filled with such rage. He tried to pull away, but I held him firm, staring into his eyes. Don't, Don T, I said, and I shook my head. Don T stared back at me, but he just appeared bored. Fuck, I sighed and released his arm. Guess you're right. I was more on edge than I had realized. We looked at each other and finally I just nodded and turned to leave. Dude, don't forget your purchase, Don T said, and your change. Behind the store next to the dumpster where the store employees dumped their trash. 
I unwrapped the red and black packaging, took out a cigarette and lit up. I smoked two cigarettes in the relative silence of HVAC hum and thought of absolutely nothing. My lungs felt like they were varnished with shellac. I didn't even bother to cough. On my way back to the apartment, I passed two drunk, giggling women stumbling home in their high heels who eyed me brazenly. Hey, one of them called to me. You got another smoke? I stopped, reached into my pocket, and brought two cigarettes out. I put one cigarette into my mouth and lit it. I handed it to the blonde-haired woman. She took it from me with a look. I put the second cigarette in my mouth and lit it before handing it to her brunette friend, who shook her head but blushed and giggled also. The blonde put her hand on my chest. She bit her lip slightly and gave me a mischievous look. We all three stood close and smoked our cigarettes in silence. The brunette laughed and raised her skirt up to show me that she had no underwear on and ran her fingers up her thigh. They giggled. Never again, I said to myself, under my breath, and I found myself moving like in a dream, leading the duo into a sheltered alley behind a medical office. Transparent red bags containing bio-mysteries were strewn about on the ground, having fallen from a hazardous waste bin, which, in the dull security light, appeared to have been knocked from its post before breaking open. The two girls unbuttoned my shirt and unzipped my pants. The brunette held my erection and kneeled down on the blacktop, but I just couldn't do it. With great fortitude, I left them unsatisfied on the street, leaning on each other and giggling, and headed home alone. Thank you.